Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Man, Easter is really about solving a problem. The story of Easter is about solving a problem. I don't know what you think your biggest problem is. Maybe you don't think you've got any problems. If you don't, I know your biggest problem. You don't even realize. But actually, if you're married, just turn to your spouse right now and ask them, and they'll be able to tell you uh, what all your problems are. Easter is about solving a problem. A really big problem. I want to explain uh, the problem to you this morning. And here's the problem. We didn't really get off to a good start. We didn't really get off to a good start because people wrecked what God created. People wrecked what God created. In fact, if you know the story, and even if you don't go to church, you've probably heard this story, the story of creation it begins in Genesis 1. It's where the Easter story really begins. And in the story, if you, if, if you read that, it says God, He created the heavens and He created the earth. And when the earth was made and He populated it with everything and fish and animals, He took uh, two people called Adam and Eve and He made them in His likeness. What a privilege it would be to be made in the image of God. And so He created and and if you're not aware of this uh adam and eve or humanity was really the pinnacle of creation anything that's made in god's image has really got to be the the pinnacle and so he created them and he, he put them in the garden he said i want you guys to enjoy it i want you to have a great time i want you to know that you're in charge of everything that happens uh, in, in this place and they're like this is great he said yeah he says hey i just got one rule for you you had one job. He said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they said, yeah, that sounds pretty easy. You mean we got one rule that we can't break? Absolutely. Well, they broke it. And they went ahead and they, if you know the story, they, they, ate, they took the fruit and they ate it. And, uh, and they made that mistake. And I want to go ahead and define uh, a word right now that I think is going to be so helpful for the rest of today because if you don't understand this word, it's almost like everything that I have to share with you today is not really going to make sense. I want to define what a mistake really is. You know, a mistake defined biblically before God, we call that sin. And sin is not some kind of uh, uh, moral failure, that would be a far too limiting way to look at sin. In fact, sin really means to fail in terms of design and intention. God created us with purpose and He designed us with intention. And so when you sin, it simply means that you're in error, that you made a mistake. I've heard it explained this way many times. I think this is a great explanation. The best way to really look at that, if you were to be a visual person, I'm a visual person, is that if you took an arrow and you aimed it at a bullseye and you let that arrow go, and as it sailed through the air, you just missed that bullseye. There was a margin of error. The Bible says that that's sin is that you were designed and intended to do something and you didn't do it. And the Bible says, well, that's really what sin is. And you would think that 
after you'd done something wrong and you knew what the right thing was to do, that that would make it easier. So say, so, well, now we know what happens when we sin. Let's just not do that anymore. And the problem was things got no better after Adam. In fact, it got a whole lot worse. And so God came and he, years later, and he gave to his people in Israel, he gave them what's known as the Ten Commandments. He said, I want you to follow this. And then years after that, he gave them something that we now refer to as the law. And the law was 613 commandments. And if you break one, it's as if you broke them all. And there's a problem with this because if you do break one, there's a penalty attached. God was instituting this system where he could continually build into people's minds that if, if you walk in the opposite direction to God, to go that way is death, but to head towards God is life. So the penalty for sin is death. But rather than leave Adam and Eve die and all the people and, and have them pay the penalty for sin, he said, look, I tell you what, I'm going to take a substitute in place of you because I really don't want you to die. So they would sacrifice animals and they created the law. The law, 613 commandments. Are you kidding me? Man, Sarah sends me down to the coals to get like three items. I'll get one wrong thing and forget another. I'll come back with one thing. She's like, did you pick up that stuff that I asked? I'm like, no, I didn't get it. How are you supposed to remember 613 commandments? Did you know that they actually had sacrifices for the sins that you didn't even realize you committed? They're like, they would have a sacrifice. And this is for all stuff that you don't even know you did. Because sometimes you do things, you don't even realize that you do it. And so they would set up a, 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 a system for that. And the system, the law, the commandments are designed to teach you one very important truth. One very important thing. Which is that sin has mastered people. It's designed to teach you one very important truth, that you, you're no match for sin. I don't know what you think your biggest problem is today, but your biggest problem is sin. It's the number one issue that's in your life. I always, if I magnify that, it, it has consequences that last the longest. It's the biggest problem that's in your life. Paul said that, Sin reigned through one man. If anything reigns, it's in power. You with me this morning? If anything reigns, it's in power. So when a king reigns, he's in power. You get that? So when sin reigns, what's in power? Sin. It says sin reigned through one man. It reigned through Adam because he was the first one to break God's law and bring sin into the world. And the problem is, is that as soon as it came... There was really nothing we could do about it. And there was nothing that we could even do to fix it. And even with all the laws and the commandments and all the right things to do and knowing what the wrong things would do, none of the right things were able to be done by us. It's like this became a serious problem. Now, I don't know exactly what it looks like in heaven. I don't know. But have you ever thought about who you'd like to meet when you get there? The line for Adam is the longest line in heaven. 
because every single one of us want to thank him thoroughly for the job that he did of ushering sin into the world because really it's wrecked us. It's wrecked us, it's wrecked creation, and it's, it's rained since that day until the time that Jesus came. Sin altered the course of humanity, so God stepped in. Here's what Jesus said. He said, I've come down from heaven, because that's where he started. I don't know if you know that. That Jesus is fully God and fully man when he came to earth, but he pre-existed. And so he came down from heaven, not to do his will, but to do the will of the Father, the one who sent him. That's why Jesus came. This is what Easter is all about. This is the story of Easter. I'll tell you another story. Is a number of years ago, I, we had a new house. And it was one of those houses that you can uh, push the little button in at the back of the door. And when you walk through and you close it, it's going to lock behind you. So I left my keys in the door that day. And I walked through the door and I pulled it shut. And it closed behind me. And I had a thought, a single thought that passed through my mind at that time, which is that I do not have my keys and I've just locked myself out of the house. So I went next door and I said to my neighbor, I said, listen, I said, I'm in, I'm in trouble. You need to help me out. Can you please drive me to my parents' house? I believe that they've got a spare key there so that I can come back and get into the house. And they said, yeah, no problem. So I jumped in the car. We went there. We got back. I was able to use a key to get in. You know, until I had that key, I was locked out. Do you know that that's what sin does to you? It locks you out of the presence of God. Do you know that that's what sin does? It locked us out of the kingdom of heaven. And, and that's a place where, I, I mean, I don't know about you, that's a place where I want to end up one day. See, getting into heaven is a real problem if you've got sin in your life. There's a story about Jesus. One day he's sitting down with a, a whole group of people and uh, he's preaching like the best sermon you've ever heard. Except, no, he is. He's preaching the best sermon you've ever heard. And so as he's, as he's doing that, uh, he says, hey, by the way, just want all of you to know that unless your righteousness your good works, your behavior. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And everyone's freaking out. You know why they're freaking out? They're the most religious people going around. They're the most righteous, dare I say it, self-righteous people going around. I mean, these guys, they tithed out of their spice racks. They did the law to the nth degree. They were revered. They were honored. They took the best seats at all the important tables. They were people that were by far and large amazing. Thousands of people wanted to be priests and were training to be priests and to be elders and to be a Pharisee. Oh, my goodness. And so they look at these Pharisees and they're like, are you telling me that the people that are doing this better than anyone else, that we got to be better than them. Jesus says, yeah, that's right. Then everyone's like, Houston, we got a problem because I have no idea how we're going to be able to do that. How are we going to be able to be more righteous than these people and get into the kingdom of heaven? By the way, while we're talking about heaven and on the subject of it, I want to tell you a couple things about heaven, just totally untrue. And if you are not in church very often, then you may not even realize this. But here is the truth. Being good doesn't actually get you into heaven. Did you know that? Yeah, being good doesn't get you there. You know, some of you are disappointed. You're like, I'm pretty good. 
Being good doesn't get you there. Do you know that actually going to heaven doesn't make you good? How many of us knew that? You know, if, you, if I can just get there, I'll be good once I get there. When I get there, everything will be fixed once I'm in. But being good doesn't actually get you there. What about, what about this one? Did you know that heaven is not even a place for good people? I know some of you just got shocked at that. Are you kidding me? How could heaven not be a place for good people? Isn't that where all the good people end up? None of these are things are really true. There's, there's actually only one way to get into heaven. And it might surprise you this morning, but it's got absolutely nothing to do with your behavior. It's got nothing to do with your righteousness or self-righteousness. So you can just drop all that. You need a key. You need a key. The same way that I needed a key to get back into my house, you need a key to get into your father's house. I'm talking about God in heaven, our father in heaven. You need a key to get back in. Do you know what your key is? Your key is Jesus. And Jesus is the only key that will unlock that door that gets you into heaven. You see, Jesus lived the life that we couldn't and he died the deaths we should have. He lived the life that we couldn't. He was perfect in every way. Do you know that when they were, the Pharisees were like trying to point out all the issues in Jesus, they're like scratching their heads. They had to get people in to make up stuff because they couldn't find anything on him. He lived a perfect life. And here on the other side is us. We're not living a perfect life. We get it wrong. We make mistakes. The truth is we sin and you already know that. If I was to sit down with you and say, hey, are you perfect? Every single person in this room would say, well, I know I'm not perfect. I understand that. And so because you understand that, you've got to see that this is a major issue for you too. This is why this is your biggest problem. So Jesus, he became our substitute. Now, I'm going to use a word here. It's a big word, but let me explain it. He's our substitutionary atonement. He is the substitute for our sin. So he died the death that, that was due us. And what did we get? We got his perfect life in place of our sinful one. Now, when you confess, this is what the Bible says. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, then this message, this Easter message, the truth, this becomes reality for you and you gain access into the kingdom of heaven. Your confession is what unlocks that door. Your confession is what turns that key. Your confession is what brings you into the presence of God. And trust me, heaven's a place where you really do want to end up at the end of your life. Like, I don't know what you think about it, but it's not all togas and harps. I mean, it's real. It's like some kind of weird spirit thing. You know, hey, when, when Jesus resurrected, I'll save this for Sunday, but when Jesus resurrected, oh, I spoiled the ending. Anyway, uh, when Jesus resurrected, he came back in bodily form. Did you know that? So it's not some weird sort of spiritual wispy thing that's not even really there. It's like a real place. When Jesus was called up into heaven, it says, if you look at what was written, commentators say he actually physically went somewhere. I'm telling you, heaven is a real place. I don't know. They might have togas. I don't really know about that. You know, most people believe that Jesus, that what Jesus died for, that it becomes effective when you die. So it's like, yeah, I confess now. And then I just wait until I die and when I die, that's when all the good stuff happens, which means that I get to go to heaven. And that's when all of those things happen. That's what most people think. 
But the problem with that is it's not exactly biblical. You see, this is what Paul said. He said that when you believe, you become transformed right now. You don't wait till you get to heaven. So you don't make a decision today and then just string out the rest of your life until you get to the end. And when you get to the end, you're like, well, thank God I said that prayer. That's really about to pay off for me. Because Paul said that when you believe, you get transformed. Now, in fact, here's something that he said. He said, you become a new creation. You become something. That's not for heaven. That's for here. That's for now. Do you ever watch the uh, TV and they have all those, those infomercials that come on and they're always trying to sell stuff that you just don't need and like blenders and all the rest of it. But my favorite is always to exercise equipment. <laughs> and they are finding new and inventive ways to do exercise without even standing up. I mean, I, I, I kind of think like if you think you're exercising and you're not, standing up or doing something that's physical or active, we, we really need to pray for you at the end of today's service because if you want to get active, you've got to go out and you've got to exercise. And you know, one of the things that I, uh, I, I've heard many, many times as they say, come and get the body of your dreams. You know, have you seen that? I'm not the only one, right? You've seen it. Come get the body of your dreams. I've got a couple of models that have never used that equipment before in their life. You know, you don't get abs from sitting on the couch, all right? I just want to explain how that works. So, so they say, come get the body of your dreams. And what, they, what do they say? They say, discover a new you. You know what I discovered? The new you is exactly like the old you. It's just a little bit thinner. You don't discover it. I've gone to the gym. I've never discovered it. I know what it takes to actually work out and work hard. I never, it, the, the new you, the new you is not playing hide and seek with you. Like, where'd you get to? Get back out here with the body of my dreams. When you, that's, a, that's a lot easier, isn't it? You know, you see, if he was just hiding and, you know, you could just find them and say, come back here. You know, you don't discover any of this stuff. You don't discover the new you. The new you is exactly like the old you. And the, the new you, the truth is, is that you don't get it from a couch. It's actually really hard work to get there. And I reckon that when it comes to being a Christian, when it comes to being a believer, when it comes to following Jesus and being made to be a new creation, I reckon the people from the outside in must look at behavioral change and say, that looks like a lot of hard work to me. You must have worked really hard to change your behavior. You must have worked really hard to fix all the things that you were doing wrong in your life. I reckon that that's exactly what it looks like from the outside. It's hard work to become the new you. But that's not exactly biblical. In fact, let me read to you something that Paul said. This is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 17. He says this. From now on, say from now on. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. The flesh is your human nature without the influence of God that is basically opposed to Him. Okay, you with me? He says, uh, we regard no one according to their human nature without the influence of God that's opposed to Him. Even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, they looked at Him in the same way, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, pay attention, if anyone is what? In? Amen. If anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. What happened to the old? 
The old has passed away and behold, which means to consider, to think about, to, to hold this truth that something new has come. Have you ever been in need of a fresh start? Have you ever needed something new to come? Have you ever wanted, I wish I could just get a do-over. That's one of the things that you learn about life, is that you can't go back and do it all from scratch again. And so what you really need is a fresh start. Have you ever felt that sense of guilt in the pit of your stomach? When you did something that was wrong and you knew it, maybe for you, it's something you keep doing. Maybe it's something you can't stop doing and you still feel guilty about the fact that you're doing it. Have you ever had a sense of regret? You say, I wish I never did that. I wish I never said that. I wish I, I wish I could do that all over again. Have you had a sense of remorse? Have you ever had something that's happened in your life? That if we were to record your life, and I want you to be at peace because we have not recorded anyone here today. But if we were to take some of those moments of your life, we had put on the projector and we put up a big screen here and we played to you those moments of your life. As you're sitting here amongst a group of people watching what you did, what you wish you never did, you start to shrink down into your seat and you put your hands over your eyes and you slide down. We have a name for that. We call it shame. It's the most debilitating human condition that I've ever seen. And when someone has got shame in their life and they feel guilt and remorse for things that they wish that they'd never done and things that they would wish that they could go back and do over again, only they can't. I've seen people struggle with that. I've seen people act out of that. And here's the good news for you is that we didn't record any of you, but you don't even need us to. Because in your brain... You got a little projector of your own. And it plays back to you memories. It plays back to you things that you've done that was wrong. And the idea of that projector playing in your mind is con to continue to make you feel the guilt and shame that hopefully, if it works the way it's designed to, will make you dysfunctional. It'll make you act in a way that you're not designed to act. It'll make you live in a way that you're not supposed to live. But if you believe the Easter message, if you believe the message that I'm sharing with you today, and not just believe it, but if you actually say it, it's about belief and confession. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. In other words, if you say, hmm, I think there's something to this. 
I think there's, I, I actually did need a fresh start or I do need a fresh start. You know what? Here's the thing. Some of you are Christians, you're in here and you still need a fresh start. You still got the movie that's playing, the sin that you're struggling with, right? You still need a fresh start today. And if you're here and you believe this and you confess this, I want to tell you, here's what God does. He forgives you. Isn't that awesome? Do you know what gets better than that? It doesn't just stop with forgiveness. He forgives you and He transforms you completely. Do you know the Greek word when He says, you are a new creation? The Greek word for creation is creature. In other words, He's making you, He's still creating, amen? He's making you a new creature. He's doing something that's on the inside of your heart that gives you a fresh start. Here's the really awesome part. Paul says, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. The flesh is what people have done. Paul says, in the church, in the community of believers, in this place today, when you look around, here's what we're supposed to do. He says, we no longer regard anyone according to what they did before they, when they were making mistakes and struggling with their flesh and sitting and all that stuff. He goes, we don't regard people like that anymore. Paul says, we declare that they are a new creation. Now, I've learned this about shame is that shame is actually a social issue. You, it's really hard to be shamed all on your own. It is a social issue. So what happens when the people around you begin to say, mm -mm, you're a new creation. You see, what Paul didn't say is that God regards you as a new creation. Because we all know that God regards you as a new creation when you give your heart and life to Him. But what Paul is saying is that the church, the community agrees and it gathers around you and it says, yes, that's what you did. It's not who you are. You made a mistake. People make mistakes. Believers say, that's who you were. You're better than that. How many times do you need someone to come to you and say to you, not in a mean or a condescending way, and say, you've been created for more than you're living for right now. You're a new creation in Christ. Stop acting out of who you were. You're better than that. I had a, 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 a thing that happened. I'm going to call it an, an episode. It's probably the best way to describe it with one of my kids this week. We had a little, you know, an episode. If you're a parent, you know what that means. I had an episode. I had a conversation with one of my kids. And they flipped out. And uh, they were angry and they were annoyed and they were not listening and all the rest of it. And so I took them to their room and, and, and I said, right, you're not coming out of here for like five minutes. I had to walk away. I need to chill out before I go back in and speak to him. So he had a moment, you know. And so I walked away and I came back in. And I see him sitting on the, on the floor. And as he's sitting there, I, I, I scooped him up and I sat him in my lap. And I said, you know what's so disappointing about the way that you're behaving right now? And he said, no. I said, you're better than that. He said, you're better than that. Stop acting this way because I know who you can be. I said, here's what I want to see happen in your life. I don't want you to grow up 
living your life like this. Why? Because I know you're capable of so much more. I don't want you to grow up thinking or believing that this is who you are. This is not who you are. And that's what we say to people who give their heart and life to Jesus and are still struggling with the issue of sin in their life. We gather around them. We're not pointing fingers and saying, look at what you've done. We say, look at who you can be. You're better than that. Do you understand? You've been designed for more than this. You're a new creation found in Christ. Behold, the old, which is your history, the old is gone and the new has come. There's something new that's come. Stop living out that old life. And because I trust you all, I'm going to tell you a story. I know you'll never share it with anyone, so it's okay this morning. I was down at Cole's doing some shopping, probably trying to get three items that I got wrong. And as I'm walking through, I found, I found like this, the Bonds underwear section, okay? And that were half price, and Bonds, you know, it's expensive, right? So I said, I would just grab a pair. I didn't really look. I said, that looks, you know, like, yeah, that looks, that's like what men do, right? So that looks about right. And so I... <laughs> I bought it and I, I got home and I took all the packaging off and I looked at the size. I said, this isn't going to fit. And I, and, and I looked at it and I thought, I should probably just take that back. And I thought, can you imagine that conversation? I would need to convince them that I hadn't tried them on. I said, these are still new. Hey guys, these are new. You can take them back. They're like, we're not taking those back. I thought, oh, well, what will I do with it? So I took them, I said, I know what I'll do. I'll put them in one of those clothing bins, right? And I thought, are you kidding me? I can't put them in a clothing bin. Who puts underpants in a clothing bin? So if I actually do that, it doesn't matter how new they are. Someone's going, these are going straight in the bin, right? And I'm like, seriously, just consider this to yourself. Have you ever walked through an op shop and went, oh, bargain? <laughs> you never did that. You've never bought secondhand underpants. I saw I didn't know what to do with them. I got brand New underpants. I don't know what to do with this. You know, I did. I threw them in the boot and I just closed the boot and I just left them there. So um, we finished church one day. I had some of the young adults with me and they walked me to my car. And I got to the car and I opened the boot and I saw the underpants there. And I started sizing them up. And I looked at these, you know, fine-looking young gentlemen, and I said to them, some of our young adults, and I started looking at them, and I, I delved into what was deeply practical and completely illogical. And I said, I said, hey, what's, what size are you? And they said, why? I said, well, I've got these, uh, these undies, right? And they looked at me, and they had this look on their face like, you're meant to be our pastor. What are you? This is, this is wrong. This is, I don't know. This has got to be somewhere in the Bible. This is, this is wrong. And as I'm, as I'm talking about, I have a moment of clarity that drops into my mind. And I said, I'm a pastor of this church and I'm trying to hawk undies to our young adults out of the boot of my car. And I had a moment of clarity and I said, oh, you know what? Just forget it. Do you know what? I'll tell you the truth. They're actually still in there. I don't know what to do. And they probably just need to go in the bin because I don't know what I'm... If you're a large, come see me straight after church, okay? 
No, I didn't plan on saying any of that. We're going to edit this podcast. Man, I had, a, I had a hard time trying to convince everyone that these undies are new. I'm like, they're new. They're like, they're not. I'm like, they're new. I can't convince anyone that they're new. Do you know when you become a Christian, you didn't need to convince anyone that you're new on the inside? You know, when you become a Christian, God says that He made you a new creation, but you don't have to go ahead and say, guess what, everyone, I'm new. Because they're looking at you and going, I don't know, we remember what you did last week. We remember what you said last month. I grew up with you. I saw you. I've seen the way that you behaved. I was with you on Saturday night. When you did that thing, you said, yeah, but I'm growing and growing still. I'm changing and changing still. God's done something new in me. I was that, but behold, I believe that the old is gone and the new has come, and it's still coming. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm telling you, you don't have to convince people because over 13 years ago, I rededicated my heart to Jesus. And when I did, I was in a situation where people looked at me and they said, not you. And I'm like, you just wait and see. So either I've been faking it like you wouldn't believe for the last 13 years, or something significant happened in me that changed me from the inside out. God reached into my heart and He said, I love you too much to leave you in the condition you came to me with. Don't try to fix your condition before you get to God. That's what He does. That's what He died for. So when you come to Him, He reaches into you. He says, I'm going to do something new with you. I'm going to twist a key in your heart. I'm going to do something with your life. You're a new creation. You just sometimes got to remember who God's created you to be, where to live from, what to do with your life. You see, a new creation means you get a new nature. God was so committed to His creation, you, that He's still in the business of re creating you man God is recreating things all the time you look sometimes at your future I tell you God he can fashion something new for you you look at your past and you think man this is where I've been I don't know where I'm going God can create something new for you God can give you a fresh start God can create for you a new life. You're sitting here today, a Christian saying, I I know that message, I've heard it before, but it means something to me today because I've been struggling. I'm telling you, God is recreating hope. He's recreating futures. He's recreating. He's not leaving you the way that you are. He's reaching into you and fixing you. And I'll tell you something, this is, I mean, I read this. I think this is why it's good news. The gospel It's the most amazing and positively geared message you will ever hear anywhere on planet Earth. And it only belongs to those who are actually in Him. See, that's the trick. You just got to be in Him. It can't be on you. We already figured that out. The commandments, the law, we figured that out. We know that. We know that it can't be on us. If it's on us, we're dead. If it's on Him, we live. That's why you got to be found in Christ. That's why it's not about your behavior, but it's all about what He's going to bless you with. You need to know that God is so committed that He sent His one and only Son so that your past would not rule your future. And the reason why you need to understand that today is because if you live today thinking that what Jesus did becomes effective when you get up there, you'll miss the life 
He's got for you down here. You'll miss it. You'll be waiting for a moment. And while you wait for that last moment, and you wait for your last breath, for the effect of the gospel to begin to move in your life, you will have been missing a lifetime of opportunities to live as a new creation, a lifetime of opportunities to allow God to do with you what He actually wants to do with you. God doesn't just forgive you. He transforms you into something new. That's for this world, not for that one. It's for this one. It's here. It's now. It exists. It's real. I want to read a scripture to you before we, before I close. This is out of Isaiah 53. By the way, Jesus would have read this before He ever gave his life for this cause. So he knew what was coming. It says he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and pain, acquainted with grief. You think that Jesus doesn't know how you feel? You think that he doesn't understand grief and pain and anguish? You think this is what the Bible says? He understands it. He's well acquainted with it. And like one from whom men would hide their faces, he was despised and we did not appreciate his worth or esteem him. But in fact, he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows and pains. Yet we ignorantly assumed that he was stricken, struck down by God and degraded and humiliated by him. But, and here's the response, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our wickedness, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing, the punishment that was required because sin equals death, right? You understand that? The punishment that was required for our well-being fell on Him and it's by His stripes, by His wounds that we are healed. And I read that passage, it's good news for me. It's good news for me. It's Good Friday. This is a good news day. And I look at that and I think, why would Jesus go through all of that? Why would He go through all of that? He stepped down from heaven into darkness. Why would He make that decision? Why would He not run? Why didn't He hide? You know, when he was standing before the chief priests and the elders, they're trying to pin something on him. They can't. The high priest, he asks him a direct question. You would have read this, maybe, but you might not know what it means. It's called the oath of testimony. They can't pin anything on him, so they ask him one direct question. And depending on the answer to that question, he either gets let off scot-free or he's about to be punished. He says, are you the Christ? Now, if he answers no, he walks. He answers yes, he's dead. He says, I am. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why would he voluntarily give his life? I'll tell you why. So that you could become something new. He gave his life so that you could become something new. And I don't know what you believe today. I believe this. I don't know what you believe. 
Maybe you struggle with what you believe. You're not really sure about this, but whatever you believe, can I say this to you? Please walk away at least with this understanding that Jesus sacrificed His life for us. He took the penalty and the punishment and He turned what should have come to us, the punishment that should have been given to us, He turned it into favour. He turned it into blessing. See, what He did is He gave us His perfect life and His righteousness and He took our sinful one and He paid the penalty for it and He died for that so that we could live today as something new, so that we could live today, a new creation made, found in Christ Jesus our Lord. And He offers that fresh start. (laughs) He offers that fresh start to every single person who believes. He offers a fresh start to anyone that confesses Him. He offers a fresh start. Why don't we stand together to our feet? We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.